Hello, and welcome to Start By Listening, the podcast about sexual harm. We are centered on educating and empowering our Western Kentucky communities. Our goal is to transform the way we talk about sexual harm. Transformation begins by listening to understand. We talk so you can listen today and change the world tomorrow. Hi everyone, this is Terry, New Beginnings Advocacy Coordinator. I have been an advocate with New Beginnings for about 10 years. My co-host for the podcast, Jennifer, says that I'm the legal advocate with attitude. Well, I don't know about that, but I do want to start off this episode uh, by teaching you about advocacy. So, let's get started. Welcome. I am so glad you are here with me. Before I really begin, I want to tell you what my sources of information are. Everything I share with you in this first episode of mine is a blend of information from the following sources. The California Coalition Against Sexual Assault and Violence Against Women International, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, the National Center for Victims of Crime, the Office for Victims of Crime, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, and my own practice, training, and experience as an advocate over the last 10 years. So, let's begin. This first episode of mine is really an introductory one, and it may be a bit short. My intention is to introduce you to three concepts this time around. One, what advocacy is in general. Two, what a victim advocate is. And three, what sexual assault victim advocacy is all about. Think of this first episode as the foundation that the rest of the episodes that we share is built on. Everything that I do as an advocate and everything we do at New Beginnings is based on these fundamentals. So I want you to have a good understanding of what those fundamentals are. But before we dive into the topic of the day, I want to ask you a question. I'll let you know what the answer is at the end of this episode. How often is someone the victim of sexual harm? in the United States? In other words, how often are sexually based crimes committed in our country? Keep listening because I'll tell you the answer to that question at the end of this episode. So, what is advocacy or what is an advocate? Well, an advocate or advocacy um, is one who supports or promotes the interests or causes Um, or interests of a cause or group, one who pleads the cause of another, like an attorney, or one who defends or maintains a cause or proposal. So advocacy is fundamentally standing up for someone else or giving voice to an issue or a topic of concern to yourself or someone else or to a group of people. 
the mission statement of New Beginnings really talks about our advocacy. Our mission statement at New Beginnings is helping men, women, and children rise above sexual victimization. So that encompasses the mission of the advocacy of our agency. So fundamentally, being an advocate or doing advocacy is standing up and giving voice to something that is important. And what is important to New Beginnings is preventing and recognizing and educating and treating people in regard to sexual harm of all kinds. So that's a little bit of a basic definition of what advocacy is. So what is a victim advocate? Well, we need a working definition of what an advocate is, a victim advocate is. So we'll use this super simple one. A victim advocate is a professional trained to support victims of crime. It's kind of self-explanatory. So a victim advocate is someone who provides a wide variety of support to someone who has experienced some sort of crime. Now, at New Beginnings, we specialize in assisting people who have endured sexual crimes. So fundamentally, advocates are victim supporters or survivor supporters, depending on if you prefer the victim or the survivor title or label. Advocates offer victims information, emotional support, and help finding resources, filling out paperwork. Sometimes advocates go to court with victims. Advocates may also contact organizations such as criminal justice or social services agencies to get help or information to victims or to provide referrals to those agencies. Some advocates will staff a crisis hotline or run a support group or provide in-person counseling. A victim advocate may also be called a victim service provider or a victim witness coordinator, or a victim witness specialist. No matter what the name or the job, the job title is, fundamentally a victim advocate is one who provides all sorts of support to someone who's been through something terrible, whether it's um, murder, sexual assault, robbery, kidnapping, trafficking. There's just a huge amount of crimes that a person might need support for. Sometimes a victim advocate may be community-based, and sometimes a victim advocate may be systems-based, such as having their home base be the police department or sheriff's office or prosecutor's office, and that's the office in which they operate from. And sometimes an advocate may work in a broader or larger systems area, such as maybe as a lobbyist or working within a governmental agency of some sort trying to advocate for change, or possibly even the university level teaching or doing research about victims' issues. Regardless of the home base of an advocate, all victim advocates provide various kinds of support uh, to victims of all kinds of crimes. 
but for Start By Listening, because we are based out of a community, Rape Crisis Center, New Beginnings, we will be focusing on victim advocacy for survivors of sexual harm. So this brings me to our last question for this episode. What do we do? How can we provide services or help survivors of sexual harm? I think to start out the answer to this question, I'd like to tell you a a short quote that I read. I don't know who said this. It was an advocate, um, but I don't know who it was. Um, This person has been cited anonymously in at least two academic research articles, um, and it's uh, described this way. One expert described the process of advocating for sexual assault victims within the criminal justice system, and I would argue other systems as well, as holding their hand on a walk through hell. It may sound a little harsh using that wording, but it's very accurate and very descriptive for the experience that sexual assault and sexual abuse survivors go through, whether or not they go through the criminal justice system process or not. Whatever path a victim survivor takes after the harm is done is a walk through hell. If someone receives services through our agency as a community-based agency, or if they seek services through a systems-based agency such as an advocate that is based in a police station or an advocate that works in a prosecutor's office, you know, regardless of the setting, it's, it's going to be very rough to, to get through that process. And so I thought there was no better way to describe what we do than starting with a quote that describes you know, why we do it, because trying to recover from something like this is is extremely difficult, and especially so in unique ways, if someone is, um, if a victim is within the criminal justice system for a case against their perpetrator. So, what do we do as victim advocates, rape crisis or sexual assault victim advocates, to help people and support them. Um, It can be broken down into five different broad areas. There's a whole lot we do under these five areas, but fundamentally we do five things. We believe, acknowledge, normalize, provide information, and give support. So our role And our honor is to believe the disclosure of sexual abuse, sexual assault, sexual harm that someone provides to us. So in other words, if someone comes into our office or we talk to someone on the phone and they say that the sexual harm occurred, we start from believing. That's the absolute fundamental. We start by believing. So we believe someone. 
and then throughout the services that we provide to them, we acknowledge in some way that this is not a good situation, or this is a terrible situation, or this is a tragic situation, so that we are acknowledging to them and we're communicating to them that this is not good and we're not going to pretend that it is. Then we, we attempt to normalize the person's experience and try to explain in some way to them, whether it's through statistics about how common these types of crimes are, or through trauma education and explaining that their emotional or cognitive or behavioral responses are quite normal under the circumstances and they're not crazy or they're not completely out of control, that, that these are normal trauma responses as a part of the healing process. So we try to normalize the experience so that we attempt to encourage the client that we work with to understand they're not crazy and that healing is possible and what they feel is very normal. And in order to help people along that healing path, we want to provide a lot of information so that people can make informed decisions about what they want to do. You can't make a really good decision about what you want to do unless you know the situation or what your victim's rights are, what statutorily you have options about. So we, pri we try to provide a lot of information, um, not just about trauma responses and how normal they are, but also about victims' rights and the options that people have, whether that be the right to report a sexual assault or not for competent adults, or explaining what mandatory reporting is before, and confidentiality, by the way, confidentiality, mandatory reporting, um, explaining those things before we really dive into talking in depth about someone so they can decide how much or how little they want to tell us. Um, so those are just two examples of the types of information that we tell people so they can start thinking about what do I want to say, when do I want to say it, how much do I want to say, and to whom do I want to, to talk about this. Or what are my options in the criminal justice system? Or what are my options at civilly or through family court or restorative justice? And the last fundamental way that we provide services to people to increase their chances of healing well is by providing support, emotional support, really just being there as an advocate, even if we don't say anything or we give minimal information, we are still providing support. So sometimes our silence is support. Sometimes our physical presence is a support. Sometimes answering questions is a support. And sometimes just making eye contact or not making eye contact or acknowledging this whole thing is terrible could be emotional support or providing a referral or providing information about coping skills or an object, a fidget toy, to help someone with coping 
with their emotional state. There's various ways that we can provide emotional support, but believing, acknowledging, normalizing that person's experience, providing information and support are fundamentally the ways that, that we provide sexual assault victim advocacy. So we, we strive to provide non-judgmental, confidential, and privileged support within the bounds of the law, mandatory reporting, for everyone that we, we meet with or talk with. We try our best to provide social, informational, and practical support to people and families that we help. We promote safety, not just physical safety, if someone feels that another person may threaten them or to be safe from sexual harm, but also emotional safety in terms of coping skills or grounding techniques that someone may need. We promote their safety, their healing, justice in terms of what that looks like to the individual. Justice looks very different from person to person and their rights through the system to assist in their making their own choices for what's best for their life. We ensure a voice, or we try to ensure a voice for victim survivors through victim-centered, trauma-informed policies and practices. I mentioned our mission statement previously, helping men, women, and children rise above sexual victimization. Everything from our mission statement to our policies, to our clinical practice, to our advocacy practice in the courtroom, for example, everything we do is centered around what is it that the victim needs in terms of voice or choice, and are we looking at what we're doing through the lens of trauma and what the neurobiology of trauma is allowing or not allowing that client to do. We try to promote access to for victim survivors to a seamless web of multidisciplinary and comprehensive services to meet their needs in the short and long term. So we try our best to have good working relationships with all our collaborative partners, whether that's a sexual assault nurse examiner, a detective, a uniform officer, working as part of a multidisciplinary team, tracking sexual child sexual abuse cases on a monthly basis, referring clients to Oasis Domestic Violence Shelter or Green River Area Development District resources or Audubon Area resources. We try our best to, to smooth the path or create that seamless web of collaboration in our communities. We also try to participate in social, institutional, and legal change. For example, each year we send representatives from our agency here at New Beginnings to the state level Sexual Assault Awareness Month kickoff at the Capitol in Frankfurt to show a presence there and to show our voices or have our voices try to be heard and help explain to others the importance of recognizing the impact of these type of crimes with the end result of, from the state level, 
trying to influence legislators to understand how important this is and maybe the next time they have a piece of legislation on their desk to maybe look at it through victim-centered lens and pass it if it's good um, for victims. So that is a very quick uh, yet broad overview of what advocacy is, what a victim advocate is, and how fundamentally we try to support victims, survivors here at New Beginnings, or really at any sexual assault center or community-based or systems-based advocacy center. So we've made it to the end of my very first solo podcast. Thank you so much for sticking with me. It's time to answer the question I asked you earlier. And that question was, how often is someone the victim of sexual harm in the United States? Well, according to RAIN, which is the Rape, Incest, and Abuse National Network, the answer to that question is, every 73 seconds, someone in the United States is the victim of sexual harm. And of those experiences, every nine minutes, that victim is a child. So take a moment with me to picture in your mind, and I'll do the same, someone that means the world to you. Now imagine that that loved one has experienced sexual harm. Someone has done something to touch their body in their most private of places or sold, or traded, or shared a picture of them nude and uploaded it to the internet. What might that be like for that person, for you? The frequency of these crimes and the intensity of the damage caused by them to your loved ones or my loved ones is why victim advocacy is such a crucial part of a victim's healing process, particularly if that victim survivor is within the criminal justice system as part of a case against that defendant. So this is why victim advocacy is such a crucial part of the healing process from arguably the worst type of victimization a person can endure. Just imagine, though, what might happen if that crime rate, to that crime rate, and the rate of people healing well, if everyone in our country just started by listening and started by believing. Think about what society might be like. How would our country our town, our city, our family, our world be different if every single person started by listening to the facts and the myths and the research and the experiences regarding sexual harm and started by providing personal one-on-one -on -one advocacy by starting by believing someone who says they've been sexually harmed. How would the world be different if we did those two things? As advocates, we want to work ourselves out of a job through prevention work. But until we can eradicate sexual violence completely, we will be there 
to help someone pick up the pieces and walk beside them every step of the way on their journey through hell. So join me next time on Start By Listening. I can't wait to share more information with you, and I can't wait for us to change the world together. So until we meet again, take good care of you and see how you can change the world for somebody else. Well, we made it to the end of our episode. We want to thank you for listening. We also want to thank VOCA for funding our podcast. VOCA stands for Victims of Crime Act. This project was supported by grant number VOCA 2020 Green River 00026, awarded through the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet by the United States Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this publication, program, exhibition are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet or the U.S. Department of Justice. We also want to give a big shout out and a thank you to Seth Hedges of Uriah Wild Media. He is the amazing individual who created the beautiful music for our podcast. We thank you so much, Seth. I'm going to encourage you to go check out his stuff. He's pretty talented and awesome. You can find him at www.uriahwild.com. That's www.uriahwild.com. And finally, we want to give a really special shout out to Rodney Newton for being our amazing technical advisor. He has spent several Saturdays and days throughout the week to help us get this podcast up and going. Rodney, you are our captain. And finally, we hope that you'll take something you heard today and change the world tomorrow. Join us next time on Start By Listening. And as always, please remember that New Beginnings is here for you to listen or help 24 hours a day. Just give us a call, 1-800-226-7273.